Well, hey, good morning, church. That was the song Mbop by a group known as Hanson. It was released in 1997, uh, and it was actually nominated for two Grammys. Uh, it also made VH1's top 100 greatest songs in the past 25 years. And indeed, it's one of my favorite uh, one-hit wonders. Uh, you know, Zach, their lead singer, said something interesting about the, the meaning of this song, Mbap. And listen to what he says. He says, a lot of people ask what Mbap means, Zach said. Uh, well, Mbap, as a word, it represents time. It represents the fact that time passes very quickly. And uh, it's, it's sort of weird, right? Because this song is very upbeat. It has a really nice tempo to it. Uh, and yet it actually talks about something very deep and profound and in fact, kind of morbid. And it's this, that uh, we don't have a lot of time in this life and that one day all of these things will sort of be gone. And if you read the first verse in light of this truth or this reality, what you come to find is that the first verse is all about friendships. And so let me go ahead and read actually that first verse for us. Uh, this is what the first verse of the song Mbap says. It says, you have so many relationships in this life, only one or two will last. You'll go through all the pain and strife, then you turn back and they're gone so fast. Oh yeah, and they're gone so fast. Yeah. Oh, so hold on to the ones who really care. In the end, they'll be the only ones there. And when you get old and start losing your hair, can you tell me who will still care? Can you tell me who will still care? Oh, care. Yeah, Mbap. And look, the reason why we chose this song for this week is actually because the Apostle John this week is actually writing to a specific person named Gaius. And whereas in 2 John, he writes to an entire church this week, he writes to a close and dear friend named Gaius. And we don't know too much about the letter of 3 John other than what the letter itself tells us. But one thing scholars are unanimous about is that Gaius was most definitely a dear and close friend to the apostle John. And it's found in the language of the letter. If you look at verse 1, 2, 5, and 11, John uses this term of Gaius as beloved, or the Greek word there is agapetos. And if you grew up in church, you know that the word agape, agapetos, agape, means love. And so he's basically saying, look, the one that I really love, the loved one, the beloved one, right? And so we know uh, that this letter is written between two really close friends, the Apostle John to his dear, beloved friend, Guys, And so let's go ahead and dive into this letter for today. Uh, I'll be reading the entire book of 3 John. It is only 15 verses, very, very short. So if at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word uh, together? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and read this for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you at the end of that reading. So if you can at this time rise as we read God's word. Let me go ahead and read this. This is the reading of God's word. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be good, may be in good health as it goes well with your soul, which is actually where we get the song, It Is Well. Um, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, 
We ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We, all, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you uh, for this time together. Lord, we pray that even though this letter was written between two friends, Lord, we pray that this letter would bless us, encourage us, help us, God, to see the truth that you want us to see this morning. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would come and really fill our hearts this morning, allowing us to see the reality of this truth uh, this morning. And Lord, would you grow us, would you challenge us, and Lord, would you bless us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated right there at home. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, my seminary professor said to me a while ago that really stuck with me, that has never really left me, was he said this. He said, the most important part of the sermon is actually the reading of God's Word. The most important part of the sermon is the reading of God's Word. And the reason why he said that is because he didn't want us preachers and us pastors to think that our job of crafting a sermon was the most important part. But he wanted us to understand that the most important part of the sermon was actually reading directly from God's Word. And so this is why every week I'll actually rehearse the reading of God's Word. And some of you have actually commented me, commented to me uh, throughout um, you know, the time that I've been here that you've noticed that I've put a lot of energy and vigor into reading the passage. And this is why. This is one of the reasons why. is because I believe that the most important part of the sermon is not me telling you my thoughts about the Bible or even what the Spirit has put on my heart about the Bible, but it's about the Bible itself. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because if you're like me and you believe, as I do, that the Bible are not human words, but inspired by, the very, by, by God Himself, that God actually wrote these words down for us, then we will react a certain way to this reality. We must live in the reality that these are not human words, but these are truths that God has given to us. And this is what I believe John is trying to help us to do today, is he's helping us to live in the reality that these words are not human words, but the truth of God. And he's going to encourage us to really four things, not three things this week, but four things. Uh, and the way he's going to go about that is by actually praising two individuals, one by the name of Gaius, who this letter is written to, but also by praising another fellow named Demetrius. Now, we don't know too much about Demetrius. All we know is that uh, basically John, the church, and, and really the Bible kind of acknowledged uh, his faithfulness. So we're not going to really cover Demetrius too much. We're going to cover Gaius more. Uh, uh, and, and by praising Gaius, really, what John is trying to do is he's trying to encourage us towards certain behavior. But at the same time, he's going to condemn this other individual named Diotrephes. And the reason why he condemns this specific person is because he wants us to know, 
He wants, us to, he wants to discourage us towards other types of behavior as well. Uh, and so with that said, we have four points. The first point is this, submitting to the truth. The second point is serving the truth. The third point is speaking the truth. And then the last point is seeing the truth. Okay, so four points, submitting, serving, speaking, and then seeing the truth. So let's dive into our first point, submitting to the truth. And as I mentioned in the introduction, this is a letter written by the Apostle John to his close friend Gaius. And what he's doing here is he wants to warn Gaius to not imitate this fellow named Diotrephes, who's actually doing quite a bit of evil. Now, we don't know, again, too much about Diotrephes because this is the only place where he's mentioned. Uh, but look at what John says about him in verse 9. It says this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So here's what happens. Okay, John sends a letter to Diotrephes' church, okay, and he wants Diotrephes to read it. And most likely it's because Diotrephes is like an elder or a deacon or a leader in the church because that's how church worked back then. Usually the leaders or the elders or the deacons would stand and take a letter from the apostle and read it to the entire church. And yet what John tells us is that he essentially discards this letter. In fact, we don't have this letter today. There would be a fourth John if you would. There might have been a fifth John, but we don't have it today because Diotrephes decided to discard this letter and not to read it aloud to everyone. And most likely what was contained in that letter, we don't know, of course, because we don't have it, but what was most likely contained in that letter were instructions to actually provide for these brothers who were going to come and preach the word to them. Uh, because that's what John did. John would send out these teachers, these evangelists, these missionaries to the different churches that he was overseeing in order to encourage them to preach the truth to them. And because there was no Airbnb, because the, there was no Motel 6, the churches had to show hospitality. The churches had to take them in. The churches had to roof them, cook for them, and do all these sorts of things for them. And yet Diotrephes decides not to take them in. And in fact, he excommunicates anybody in the church who decides to actually take these preachers and pastors and missionaries into their homes. In addition to all of this, Diotrephes actually uh, goes ahead and talks wicked nonsense, John says. Wicked nonsense. In other words, he talks smack about the Apostle John behind his back to other people. Now, you have to understand this, right? There are no big A apostles today, right? Like the Apostle John like the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, right? There are no such things anymore because the big A apostles are the ones who God revealed His revelation to, right? God gave them the inspired word. God inspired their minds, their hearts, their lips, their hands as they wrote these letters. And so we don't have any big A apostles anymore. And so if anybody ever comes to you and says, hey, I'm a big A apostle, like I can write the words of God, I can write scripture, you tell them, get away from me because we don't have any of those anymore. But in those days, John was, in fact, the mouthpiece of God. God had revealed His will to him. God had revealed His will just like He revealed to the Old Testament prophets. And so these apostles, as they wrote letters, were writing Scripture. In fact, if you read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, we won't actually go there. But if you read it, what the apostle Peter says is he basically refers to the apostle Paul's writings as Scripture itself already. Why? Because these apostles were so revealed. Uh, God had revealed His words and His wills to them that anything they wrote were the words of God. And all this to say, the apostles held a special place in church history. The letters and the things they, were, they said were on another level. They were the mouthpiece of God Himself. 
This is why in Matthew chapter 10, verses 10, Jesus says this. He says, whoever receives you, he's talking to the apostles, the disciples. He says, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me, the Father. In other words, let me put it like this, okay? Diotrephes took the words of God and he discarded them. He took the words of God and he degraded them. He discarded them and he neglected them. And now let me turn this question towards us. Do you imitate good or do you imitate evil? Because that's what the Apostle John says. He says, beloved, in verse 11, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And so let me ask you this. Do you imitate evil, diatrophies, or do you imitate Gaius who's good? Because in verse 3 it says that Gaius was walking in the truth, whereas diatrophies discards the truth. Do you discard the words of God? Do you neglect the very words of God? Look, do you know why Diotrephes discarded the words of God? John actually tells us why. He says this in verse 9. He says, But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. I want you to underline that word first. Do you know what that word first means in the Greek? It literally means preeminence. It literally means preeminence. And there's only one other place where this Greek word is used again in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18. And guess who it's used of? Jesus Christ. Look at what Colossians 1.18 says. And, uh, uh, and He is the head of the body, that's Christ, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Look, if you don't know what preeminence means, it means this. The fact of surpassing all others, it means that you believe you are superior. The reason why you discard, the reason why you neglect God's word is because you believe you are preeminent. You believe you are the first. You believe you are superior to God himself. You know, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, it says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's God talking to us, mind you. But you know what we do, friends? You know why we don't read scripture? It's because we take that verse and we flip it around and we're saying this to God. So, so look, this, like, let, let's, let's read this again from our, like flipping it around, right? For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, God. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, God. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, God. That's why I don't want to listen to you. My thoughts are better, so I'm going to listen to my thoughts. My words are better than your words, God, so I'm going to listen to my words, not your words. I don't need your words because I have my words and my words are higher. And if you don't believe me, think about it like this, okay? Let me give you a simple illustration. Imagine this. Imagine uh, there's uh, a wealthy, rich investment uh, guru uh, who's smart, who has made millions and is a genius, right? And she comes up to you and she says, hey, I want to help you. I'm going to give you my thoughts. I'm going to give you my ways. And if you follow my thoughts, if you follow my ways, you're going to make millions just like me. And instead of following her ways, instead of following what she's doing, and follow, instead of following her thoughts, you say, I'm going to follow my thoughts. Well, what you're saying in that moment is you're saying, well, I, I think my thoughts are better than yours. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You stop reading the word of God. You don't even know where your Bibles are anymore. And you don't know where your Bibles are because you don't 
you think your thoughts are higher than God's thoughts. You haven't touched them in so long that you don't even know where they are anymore. You don't do your quiet times. You don't read scripture because you believe you're preeminent. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't know where my Bible is because I read my Bible from the YouVersion Bible app, right? Most of you, if you have a Bible app, it's most likely the YouVersion Bible app. And you say, well, I read. I'm pretty sure that app hasn't been opened in a while. In fact, there, there are some of you who have settings on your phone that if you don't use an app in a while, it automatically deletes it from your phone, so you have to kind of re-download it. I'm sure for many of you, you have to re-download that thing. It's like in the cloud somewhere, but you have to re-download it because you haven't used it in so long. Look, if I can speak candidly in New Life to each and every single member, one of the things that I'm anxious about, one of the things that I worry about, honestly, is the fact that so many of you have actually degraded the words of God so much that you have, you've even stopped attending Sunday worship. You, you, you believe that your thoughts are so much higher than God's thoughts that you don't even have to attend online worship service any longer. For some of you, maybe this is the first time you're turning online worship service in a long, long, long time. And in fact, if that's you today, I'm so glad that you're tuning in again today. But can I just say something? Like, like look, the reason why you haven't been tuning in is because you believe you're, you're preeminent. You're superior above even the words of God. And maybe for some of you, you have been tuning in week in and week out. Maybe you have been tuning in, but guess what? You also have tuned on. Uh, you have the Seahawks game. You have video games. You, you know, you're just, it's sort of like the news. You just have it going on in the background. And look, I, I know it's tough. I know during this COVID season, it's really, really tough to set aside time to worship God and to sit under the truth of the word, to submit yourselves under the truth of the word. And yet here's the thing. If we believe that these are the words of God, then we have to submit ourselves under this truth. Look, if you believe this is the truth, if you believe these are the words of God, then we have to submit ourselves under this truth, not believe we're preeminent over it. So let's move into our second point, serving the truth. You know, Diotrephes was not only discarding the apostles' teaching, but he was refusing, in verse 10 it says this, to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So again, as I mentioned before, John would send out these preachers, right? He would, uh, people would have to take them in, but Diotrephes doesn't support the work of these ministers. He puts them out and he excommunicates anybody that would help them. And on the flip side, Gaius was incredibly hospitable towards these traveling preachers. In verse 5, uh, John says this, right? Beloved, he's talking to Gaius, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. And again, he's referring to these traveling preachers. Look, he's faithful to them. He's faithful to the truth. He's faithful by serving them. And then look at verse 8. He says this, Therefore we ought to help to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I want you to underline that word fellow workers. That's one word in the Greek. And guess what that word is? It's the word synergos, which is where we get the word synergy from. And let me read you a brief definition of synergy. It's this, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. Okay? You hear what synergy is, right? This thing could produce maybe three. This thing could produce maybe three. But you put them together, it's not six. Right? It, it's going to be like 70. Why? Because their combined effect is greater than their separate effects. 
And this is what John is saying. He's saying, look, we can work in synergy. There are those of us who spread the truth. There are those of us who preach the truth. And there are those of us who support, who are fellow workers of the truth. And both are necessary. And if we work together, we can have a synergistic effect. Where yes, we can do things on our own, but if we come together as a community, as one body, we can do so much more in spreading the truth. And, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this, right? We're one body with many different parts. And so yes, the eye doesn't do what the hand does, and the hand doesn't do what the eye does, but the eye is not less important than the hand, and the hand's not less important than the eye. They just have different roles and responsibilities, you know, in the book of Acts chapter 6, it tells us that the apostles uh, are confronted with this problem, right? They're, they're preaching the word, but these widows uh, are being neglected in, in the feeding, in the daily feedings. And so in order to not have starving widows, the elders appoint deacons in order to serve, to wait on these tables so that these widows get the food. And they say like this, it's not right for us to, to, to neglect the word of God, to not preach it, to not pray, they say. And so we have to appoint other people to do this noble task in order for the word of God to spread. So this is exactly what they do. And they appoint people like Stephen, who ends up getting martyred later on. But look at what it says in the book of Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, right after this story, it says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You see the synergy. Look, if God has reached you with the truth, if God has reached you with the gospel, right, it is your duty. You are under moral and spiritual obligation to spread the truth. And yet there are a myriad of ways for you to do that. Not everyone can be a preacher. Not everyone can be a pastor. Not everyone can be an evangelist. But we can be Gaiuses, fellow workers of the truth, supporting the truth. A Gaius is someone who serves on our worship team. A Gaius is someone who leads our children in song, dance, crafts, and small groups. A Gaius is someone who logs onto Zoom every Saturday and Sunday morning to pray for our church. A Gaius is someone who shares our services with their friends, their family members, and, and on their social media so that they can share the love of Christ. A Gaius is someone who welcomes people on Sunday mornings in our chat box. We want people to, to, to welcome each other, and you're a Gaius if you're welcoming each other. A Gaius is someone who supports and tithes to the church to support the work of this church. A Gaius is someone who leads our community groups. A Gaius is someone who leads and supports our college students, right? especially during this difficult season of COVID. A Gaius is someone who films our services and does the hard work of editing them. These are all ways that we can all be Gaiuses, be fellow workers of the truth. Because here's the reality, I can't do all this stuff. I don't even know how to do all this stuff. I'm not even the best person to do all this stuff. Our pastors are not the best person to do all this stuff. Our pastors don't have all the time to do all this stuff. We need you. We need you to be fellow workers of the truth in order to spread the truth. And if you believe that these are the truths of God himself, and you believe that every person in the world should hear this, then you, I pray that you would help and support the truth. We need you. We need to do this together. We are not just pastors and staff. We need the entire church to be fellow workers of the truth. Look here, look, I, I, I told our pastoral staff, hey, like I'm going to be preaching on this and, and, and I want to give our church opportunities. And man, immediately they gave me dozens and dozens and dozens of opportunities for you to be Gaius's right there, right there at home. We need people. Our worship team is looking for instrumentalists. 
yeah, you think we have a lot of instrumentalists? We don't have enough instrumentalists. We need more instrumentalists. Our creative team is looking for set designers. Uh, you think this stuff in the back here just happens, you know, out of thin air or automatic? No, we, we need people to do these things. So if you have set design, th please, we need you. Uh, if you have a video experience, being a videographer, please, we need your help. Uh, if you have, uh, you know, it, experience in social media and engaging people on social media, we're trying to reach people through social media, please, we need you. Uh, we need CG leaders, community group leaders. We need bridge group leaders. These are groups where newcomers can come and experience and take a sample of community groups. We need them. We're going to put on a Christmas drive-in movie theater thing for our community because Christmas isn't canceled and we want to bless our community and we need people to help serve in that. And there's going to be a link that comes up in our chat box right here. Okay, and, and please sign up. Volunteer because you're helping. You're being fellow workers of the truth. Let's move on to our third point, speaking the truth. Uh, this next point is a bit of a side point, but it's actually in our passage for today. And I sort of named it called speaking the truth, but it, you know, really if I had to name it appropriately, it'd be speaking encouragement. And uh, I just named it speaking the truth because it, it would fit into all of our points. And it is truth, mind you, but, but look, last month was uh, Pastor's Appreciation Month. And we're so grateful to every person out there who uh, blessed us with notes and, and encouragements and, and, and gifts. For, for some of you, you gave our pastors gifts. And we're so thankful and grateful that you decided to encourage us in this way. But let me tell you how you can encourage our pastors. Let me tell you how you can encourage our staff. Uh, including me, how you can encourage us greatly so that we can keep running this race called ministry. Look at what John writes in verses 3 and 4. He says this, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The Apostle John at this point in life is an elderly, elderly man, and he's lived life. He's experienced the greatest joys, and he's experienced the greatest sorrows, and he says, there's no greater joy than this, of finding out that my spiritual children are walking in the truth. And this is so, so true. And this is how you encourage our pastors. This is how you encourage our staff is by sharing with us the, the, the fact that you've been walking in the truth or that there are people around you that are walking in the truth. Look, I was just telling a friend jokingly that one of the greatest feelings that I, I could possibly experience is, is, is having a great day at golf. Right? If, you, if, you're playing, if you've ever played golf and you're driving the ball well, you're hitting your irons well, you're putting well, and just everything's going right, that, that's just such a great, great day. But as soon as I ended that statement with my friend, I, I immediately turned back and I, and I thought in my mind, I was like, actually, wait a second, that's not the greatest, that's not the greatest thing that I could experience. And I, my mind went immediately back to Alan Liu, who we baptized several weeks ago. And if you don't remember, we baptized Alan, and when I was interviewing Alan and talking with Alan, he shared with me just how many New Life members came around him to support him in his faith. That there were people who called him up to come out to community group. There were community group members who would answer questions for him about Christianity. There were people, and when I heard time and time again about New Life members walking in the truth and helping Alan uh, come to faith in Christ, that just blew me up with joy. And so look, if you want to encourage our pastors, look, please, if your husband's been walking in the truth or if your wife has been walking in the truth, please share it with us. Seriously. If your kids have been walking in the truth, please share it with us. If your CG members have been walking in the truth, please share that with us. 
Look, if your community group leader has been walking the truth, please share that with us. If you've been walking the truth, please share that with us. It gives us great joy. And, and, and look, it, the cherry on top of all of this is if new life, if God was able to use new life in some way to help you to walk in the truth, man, all the more joy. But please do share it with us. You can share it with us in our chat rooms on Sundays. You can share it with us on our Instagram. You can message us. Uh, you can send it to Seattle at uh, uh, info at seattlenewlife.org. Uh, there are so many ways you can share these stories. With, but please, please do. If you want to encourage our staff, please share with us how it is that you've been walking in the truth. And friends, this would encourage us greatly. Let's move on to our fourth and final point, seeing the truth. You know, what's interesting is that John... Okay, never calls out Diotrephes for false teaching. He never does. Uh, he, he's done that in other places, in 1 John and 2 John, as we saw last week. Uh, he he ca calls out false teachers and, and false theology. Uh, but, but he doesn't do that with Diotrephes, which means that most likely Diotrephes actually has sound theology. That Diotrephes actually believes in Orthodox Christian teachings. And yet what John gets so upset about Diotrephes is not that he doesn't know the right things, rather he doesn't apply his theology. He doesn't apply what he knows to his everyday life. Just because you know all the right things doesn't mean that you will live it out. Just because you know the truth doesn't mean you'll live out the truth. Look, when we think of spiritual growth here in America, we always think of knowledge, right? Growing in knowledge. And yet, here's the thing. I'm not saying knowledge is bad. I'm just saying, look, knowledge can puff up. Paul says this. Knowledge puffs you up at times. It makes you think you're holy. It makes you think you're pious when you're not really. It just gives you this sense of pride. And, and in other words, we can't just have the truth. The truth alone, although we elevate the truth, the truth in and of itself is not all we need to actually submit to the truth, to grow in truth. So then how do we spiritually grow? How do we spiritually grow if just knowing the truth is not the solution? Okay, what is the solution then? Look at what John says in verse 11. He says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. But listen to what he says next. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Look, I'm going to take a little bit of a slight tangent, but I'm going to move it all the way back around, okay? So just follow with me here for a second, okay? If you read all the Johannine literature in the scriptures, okay, that's, that's the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation, okay? These are all written by the Apostle John called Johannine literature, okay? If you read all of it, what you'll come to find is that in John's theology, okay, what, what he believes is this, that you can see God without actually seeing Him physically, you can see God without actually seeing God physically, okay? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what the Apostle John writes. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is writing 1 John, okay, to a group of young people, people who have never seen God, who have never seen Christ. They're second-generation Christians. They've never touched Jesus' hands. They've never seen God, and yet He includes them in. He says, look, you've seen Him. You've touched Him. You've heard Him. It's like you've seen God for yourself. Look, do you remember in the Gospel of John, right? In John chapter 20, there's this famous, famous story of Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas hasn't seen Christ, and so he doesn't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. Then finally, Jesus appears to him. He sees Jesus. He touches Jesus, and then he believes. And look at what Jesus says at the end of this in verse 29. 
Jesus said to him, that's Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, right? John believes that our belief, okay, for those who have never seen Christ physically, our belief can be stronger than that of somebody who's actually seen Christ. And so that means that we've actually seen Christ. Does that make sense? Our belief today can be so powerful and so strong in the truth that it's as if we had seen Christ himself. And so look, how do we get this kind of belief? How do we get this kind of trust? How do we, how do we activate this truth in our lives? He tells us in John chapter 4. If you remember in John chapter 4, it's the story of a Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. And do you remember what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman? It's in verse 23. He says this, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. You see, we can't just have the, the truth. We need the spirit to make the truth alive in our hearts. We can't just believe Jesus intellectually with our minds. We need the Spirit to make those truths alive in our hearts. And this is what Diotrephes failed to do. He knew the right truth. He knew the right theology, but the Spirit hadn't made it alive in his heart. He, he had truth, but he didn't have the Spirit to actually make this a theology alive in his heart so that he could apply it to his life. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. So now here's the question. Well, how do I get the Spirit to make this truth alive in my heart, Eric? And here's the answer, you can't. You can't control the Spirit. You can't control God. The only thing you can do, and here's the good news, is you can ask the Spirit. And this is why not only do you need to read the Word of God, read the truth, but you need prayer. Because prayer is where you get on your knees and you ask the Spirit and you beg the Spirit, make this truth alive in my heart. Make this truth alive in my heart, Spirit. Make it so that I've almost, like I've seen Christ, like I've experienced it myself. And John is saying, even though you've never seen Christ physically, you can experience the truth as if you've seen Him. You can experience Him because of who? The Holy Spirit. And so I, I, I beg you and implore you, look, you got to read and you got to pray and ask the Spirit to make this alive in your hearts. Because without the Spirit, this is just truth. Without the Spirit, this is just truth. It's just something you know. You need the Spirit of God to make this truth alive in your hearts so that you can see Christ. And look, if you're somebody that's, you know, just haven't felt alive in your Christian walk in a long time, I'm begging you, get down on your knees fast and pray and ask the Spirit. Because here's the other good news. The Spirit is God. And God is a spirit. They're all three in one. And guess what it says? That our father is a good father who gives good gifts to him. And in the Gospel of Luke, it actually says that if you ask for the spirit, he won't take the spirit away from you. If you ask for the spirit, he'll give the spirit to you. I pray and I, and I ask and I implore you to get down on your knees and to pray and to ask the spirit to make these truths alive in your hearts so you can see Christ. And look, do you know what happens when you see Christ? when the Spirit actually does a work in your hearts, this is what's going to happen. You're going to feel the weight of your sins. If you don't believe me, do you remember in, uh, in the book of Job, right? Job is complaining and, and, and asking God, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then God finally shows up. God finally shows up and gives him all of his glory, all of his might. And then do you know what Job says in chapter 42, verse 6? He says this, 
but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, when the Holy Spirit actually comes into your heart and makes the truth alive and you see Christ, guess what's going to happen? You're going to turn in repentance. You're going to despise yourself. You're going to see the sins that you've committed against the righteous and holy God. You're going to see all the wrong that you've done against Him and how unholy you are and how undeserving of His love you are. Look, Isaiah chapter 6, another example. Isaiah goes to heaven. He sees God himself. And guess what he, what he does after he sees God? He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He's a sinful, sinful man. He sees it. And when the Spirit of God comes into your heart and he makes his truth alive, he's going to show you just how much you've sinned against God. And yet simultaneously, the Spirit is going to make you see Christ all the more. He's going to make you see how gracious and holy and amazing and just and good Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ, He'll show you, forgave you of your sins, forgave you of your wretchedness, forgave you of all of these things, not because you did anything good, not because there was anything inherently good about you, but because Jesus was good, because Jesus was obedient, because Jesus was everything. And He'll show you that the price that He paid upon the cross it, that, that price, that, that the wrath that He took upon the cross was all for you, for your salvation, so that He could glory the Father, so that He could rescue you and show you His love and His grace. Friends, the Spirit will make you see the bad news that you are deserving of God's wrath, but the Spirit will also show you the good news that you are saved by Jesus Christ Himself. And look, friends, there are some of you here today who do not know the truth. Or maybe you do know the truth and you've known it for some time, but the Spirit hasn't made this truth alive in your hearts. And maybe today you're beginning to feel it. You're beginning to feel the Spirit work in your hearts. And you're beginning to see the depravity of yourself. You're beginning to see your sinfulness. And at the same time, you're beginning to see just how good Jesus Christ is. And friends, if that's you today, I implore you to click the I commit my life to Jesus button. Because what you're saying when you click that button is this. You're saying, I'm sinful. I can't save myself. I'm unholy. I'm unrighteous. But Jesus, I need you. I need your work upon the cross. I need your blood to wash me clean of my sins. Jesus, I need you to save me. And friends, when you click that I commit my Jesus button, that's what you're saying. You're saying that Christ, I need you. I need you as my Lord. I need you as my Savior. And friends, if you click that button again, there will be a pastor there who can pray for you, who can walk with you. And, and, and friends, maybe if you have not been baptized, we would love to baptize you as well. And so please click on that button again if you want to receive Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, I first come before you, God, and confess my own sins, Lord. I confess to you, God. I confess to you, God, that I don't elevate the truth as high as I should all the time, Lord. That I put myself preeminent over even your words, God, many, many times. And Lord, I know there are so many of us in this place, God, who have made ourselves preeminent over your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we apologize. We're sorry. We repent and we see the errors of our ways. And Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit has made this truth alive in our hearts today. And Lord, at the same time, we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would wash us clean of our sins again. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to remember that your truth is the highest truth, that you are preeminent above all things, Lord. 
that you are sovereignly in control of all. And Lord, we pray, God, and we ask, God, for all those, God, who click the I commit myself to Jesus button, Lord, we pray that you continue this good work that the Holy Spirit has already done in their hearts, God. God, of making this truth alive in their hearts day after day. God, may they see Christ. May they touch Christ. May they taste Christ and experience His mercy, His goodness, and His grace. Lord, we thank you so much for these words today. We pray this all in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. Well, at this time, church, would you rise for the benediction? And if you don't know what a benediction is, it just means a good word. We want you to leave this place with a good word. And friends, what we, what we want you to know is that Jesus Christ came and He died on a cross. And that when He died on a cross, He created this community called the church. And this church carries with it the message of this truth, the gospel. And friends, because we have the truth, because we have hope, because we have this message, friends, we can now spread this truth because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so friends, now hear this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore.